This morning, we're going to be diving into the Word of God. We're in the middle of a series um, that we started last week called Act Justly. And the, and the truth is about this series is that, you know, there's been a lot of conversation in our culture about what it looks like to pursue justice in our country. In fact, our church and, 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 and you as individuals have been engaging in conversations as well, both together and individually and with other people, about what does it look like for us to pursue justice as, as a congregation, for us to pursue justice as a congregation, but also for us to do it as individuals. And so we're sort of uh, continuing that conversation in this space, but we have to remember, like we sort of rem- remembered last Last week that this pursuit of justice isn't just a response to this cultural moment. It's not just, oh, well, this is happening in current events, so we need to talk about it too. The reality is, is the call to pursue justice is actually a biblical call. It is a call from God. It is uh, the, the, the call to pursue justice is, is streamed throughout the Old Testament. It's found at the heart of Jesus's ministry. It's fulfilled with Jesus on the cross. It will be fully realized when Christ returns, and it really is at the core of the calling for every follower of Jesus to passionately pursue justice. And so, and so we're diving in to this, um, this month. Now, the interesting thing to me as I was thinking about this this past week is, is the reality is, is this cry for justice really isn't, it's sort, of, it's sort of ingrained in every person from birth in every culture, right? It's not something that's socialized by our cultures. It isn't even something we learn from creation. In fact, if you look at creation, there is no justice in creation. Animals don't care about justice. This is why a praying mantis eats the mate after um, they mate. She eats the head off of her mate. This is why a honey badger like just destroys any animal it can find. This is why a panda who has twins, abandons one of the twins to take care of the other, and no other panda is saying that's unjust. The reality is justice isn't found in creation. It's unique to the human experience, and it's ingrained in us from birth. This is why when a young child, after they learn to say mama and dada and no, they shortly and quickly learn to say it's not fair. Because at the heart and the core of who they are, what is ingrained in them from birth is this pursuit and this call for justice, this cry of this heart, their heart and this longing that justice needs to be done, that there needs to be a certain amount of fairness in this world. And so when they look and they see that one kid got two cookies and they only got one, they say, this isn't fair. And when one kid gets to watch a show and they don't, they say, this isn't fair. And when one kid gets to do something that they are not allowed to do, they cry, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. From birth, what is rooted in their heart is an understanding and a longing for justice. Now, at the age of two, the lines of what is fair and what is just are typically drawn in really precarious ways and always includes them and what they get and what is in their favor. They always draw the lines to be in their favor. But as we looked last week, it doesn't, that redrawing of the lines doesn't always stop when you grow up. 
Instead, what sort of happened is at creation, we were created in the image of God and we were created to be these beings that saw the image of God in other humans and we engaged it and we respected it. And we sort of treated one another because they were also made in the image of God in ways that God defined as good and bad. But when sin and brokenness entered the world, what we did is we and humanity began to redraw those lines to no longer be defined by what God said was good and bad, but by what we said was good and bad. We define these lines based on our own terms, and we typically, as humans, defined them in ways that benefited ourselves and took advantage of and enslaved others. And there's a cry from those who are enslaved for freedom and for justice. And throughout history, God tends to hear, or really always, God always hears the cries of enslaved people for freedom. He hears the cries of the oppressed and he works to bring justice into that situation and to set the prisoners free. In fact, Jesus's first sermon that he gives in his ministry here on earth, he says, God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. See, all of us need to be set free from something. It's, it's not just people who are economically or politically oppressed that need to be set free. All of us, even people who are in positions of power, who don't even realize that they're oppressed by anything, that, that they too need to be set free. Because it's only when both those in power and those without power who are oppressed are set free that the cycle of injustice stops. And when we begin to witness justice rolling in like a river, we can cheer and we can shout and we can sing that God's kingdom has come, that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what's supposed to happen. But unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way. Unfortunately, sometimes when justice rolls in, instead of us cheering and shouting and saying, hurrah, we jeer and we criticize. See, we live in this culture where there's sort of this scarcity of justice mindset. There's this idea where we fall into the trap of thinking, hey, there's only so much justice to go around. And so we pit injustices against each other. There's some injustices that we shout really loud about and other injustices that we stay quiet about. And we tend to pick and choose which injustices we will fight for and which injustices we will sort of let slide. And it leads to a culture where we all become divided about the pursuit of justice. We think that if we pursue justice more in like this area over here, then it means that we can't or will have less justice in this area over here. So if someone is giving more weight or attention or importance to one area over another, we cry foul. And we say, well, what about? Well, well, what about? 
And one area of injustice gets pitted against the other. It happens in the media, which stories are, are heavily promoted and which stories sort of fall flat on the cutting room floor. We see this in politics where politicians, uh, 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 Politicians try, care about some of these injustices while they turn a blind eye to the others. And it even happens uh, in social media where when a person speaks up about an injustice, there's often a comment that follows that says, well, what about this? Well, don't you care about that? And I know that we aren't all followers of Christ. But for those of us who are, the pursuit of justice should not divide us but it should unite us. That when Jesus came to set the prisoners free, he came to set all of the prisoners free. When, when Jesus came to give, uh, to, to give grace and comfort to the marginalized, he came to bring that to all of the marginalized. So we don't have to choose which prisoners do and don't get set free. We don't have to choose which marginalized people are cared for and which are not. See, Proverbs 8 says this. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. See, if there's someone who can't speak for themselves, if their voice has been silenced or, or they don't even know how to speak for themselves, we as followers of Christ, are supposed to speak up for them. We are supposed to be the voice that cries for justice for them. So we don't have to pit the evils of racism against the cause of the unborn. We don't have to pit against the violent police brutality against those who have given their lives to protect and serve our country. We don't have to choose between systematic injustice for those in our country and systematic injustices that are happening for those outside of our country. We don't have to choose when it comes to gender discrimination and say, well, what happens in our country with gender discrimination is a bigger deal than what happens outside of our country where a girl is just happens to be born into a poor family in a country where it's acceptable to sell her into sex trafficking so that they can make a little extra money. We, we don't have to pit those things against one another. We don't have to choose. We can say yes to all of them. We can give a voice to all of them. And so... For a follower of Christ, the pursuit of justice isn't an either or. It's a both and. It's all of the things. We can give a voice to the voiceless. See, in Jeremiah 22, it says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Now, the word just in this passage is actually the Hebrew word mishpat. Now, this word mishpat is used over 400 times in the Old Testament. And then if you start counting the related words to justice, you get an exorbitant number of times where justice is addressed in the Old Testament. Uh, 
But this word mishpat is actually so much more comprehensive than our English word justice. See, when we use the word justice, nine times out of 10, we're talking about a retributive justice. We're talking about something that happens in the courtroom, that you did something wrong and you broke a law and now you will be punished and that is justice. But in the Old Testament, When the word mishpat is used, it is talking about that, but it's talking about so much more. You see, nine times out of 10 in the Old Testament, when the word justice or mishpat is used, it's talking about a restorative justice. It's talking about creating a system and a set of laws and regulations on the front end to protect certain people who always seem to fall through the cracks and be taken advantage of. It's a justice that gives opportunity to those for whatever reason might not have the opportunity to thrive. For whatever reason are vulnerable again and again and again. And almost every time this word mishpat is used in the Old Testament, it's actually describing how a person or a community or a nation responds to and treats four different vulnerable groups. They're called the quartet of the vulnerable, and they're the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. According to the Old Testament, how just a community is was based on how they treated these four vulnerable groups, widows, Vulnerable women who were in a position where they struggled to find opportunity or a way to support themselves. Orphans, vulnerable children who were not connected to a family and had no one looking out for them. They had no voice. Immigrants, people who were vulnerable because they were in the ethnic, uh, linguistic, or cultural minority. And the poor, people who were vulnerable because of their lack of resources to protect themselves from those who might abuse their power or wealth. Now, within a just community, these vulnerable people don't have to worry about being taken advantage of. They don't have to worry about being given an opportunity to care for themselves because the entire community would pursue what is just and what is right. They would uphold mishpat. Now, another way to talk about upholding mishpat would actually be um, something that's referred to in the New Testament when Jesus has this lawyer come to him, and the lawyer says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And the response becomes to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so really, what it means to do what is just and what is right is really the same thing as loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about it, if I actually do love my neighbor as I love myself, I am not going to enslave them. I'm not going to buy or sell them. I'm not going to traffic them. I'm not going to rip a family apart. I'm not going to take advantage of anyone. I'm not going to withhold opportunities because of their gender or their sexuality. I am not going to take their life just because they don't yet have a name. I'm not going to ignore their pain. I'm not going to attack them on social media. I'm not going to refuse to listen to them. 
because they look different, act different, come from a different culture, speak a different language, or have a different belief than I do. And this, this is what a follower of Christ does. Now, this isn't what makes you a follower of Christ. What makes you a follower of Christ is what Christ did on the cross, what Christ did to atone for our sins, what Christ did to redeem us and purchase us back to put us in right relationship with God. That's what makes us or enables us to become a follower of Jesus. But once we have become a follower of Jesus, the natural outflowing of that, of our new identity, is this to do what is just and right, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is our new identity. Now, sometimes we don't always live out of that new identity. We don't live up to the new identity that we've been given. Even though we are a follower, we don't look like Jesus. We don't do what is right or what is just. We don't love our neighbor as ourself. And when we don't, we need to do what we talked about last week. We need to repent. We need to allow Jesus to uproot the thing in our life that should not be there and allow him to change us. But that starts with us repenting of us admitting, hey, I did this wrong. I did not do what was just. I did not do what was right. And we allow Jesus to uproot it and transform us and change us so we can live out of this new identity. Now, second question is, what about, what about if it's not us that is not living out this identity? What if it was someone else who didn't do what was just or what was right? What if it isn't me? What if it was someone else? What if it's someone else that came before us? What if that someone was a part of our tribe, our racial or gender or church or ethnic tribe who did something that was unjust and not right? What is our responsibility if it was someone else. How are we supposed to respond to that? Now, if you live in an individualistic culture, which, surprise, we do. If you live in an individualistic culture, you might say, well, I'm not responsible for it. I, I didn't mistreat those people. I didn't mistreat anyone from a different race. I didn't hurt the born or unborn child. I didn't mistreat women. And here's the deal. That may totally be true. The truth is that you are only responsible for repenting of your own sins. You cannot repent for what somebody else did. That's, that's their responsibility. You can only repent for what you did. But at the core of the gospel message is a God who took on the world's brokenness, which was not his responsibility. And then on the cross, Jesus took on all of the sins and all of the mess and all of the injustice that he did not commit. And the reason that we are here today 
The reason that we can stand before God as redeemed people in right relationship with him is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't repent for our sins, only we can do that, but he did make things right. He did make things whole. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to do the same. Not to repent for the wrongs of each other, but to make them right. Now, too often, this conversation about who's responsible just really turns into a conversation about who holds the most blame and who's the most at fault. But the reality is, is that is not our call. That is not our call to figure out who holds the most blame and who's the most responsible. Instead, what our call is, is to join God in the process of making things right. You see, Jesus, see, see, see a follower of Jesus never looks at someone who is hurting and says, well, it's, it's not my fault. I, I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Instead, a follower of Jesus looks at someone and they say, how can I make this right? How can I restore? How can I heal? See, that's what making things right means. That's what it means to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. It's not about making them right with God. Only Jesus can do that. It's about, and and it's not even about us earning our grace and forgiveness, and it's not about like us pursuing some sort of penance to like take on the pain and, and the hurt of all the things that we've done to God. It's not about any of those things. It's about joining God daily to experience restoration, to bring about healing and wholeness here on earth so that the world might have a taste of what God has already done for them in heaven. It's about saying yes to the invitation to follow the incarnate Savior by bearing that which is not our own, by entering into what belongs to someone else. It's about making someone else's promises or making somebody else's problems my problems because Jesus made your problems his problems. It's about making someone else's problems my problems because Jesus made my problems his problems. And when we understand that that is what it means to do what is just and right, when we understand that that is what it means to sacrifice and to lay down our lives and to surrender whatever it is that is needed to surrender to make things right and whole and healed in our families and in our relationships and in our nations and in the world, it is then, it's then that we're going to be united in our pursuit of justice, it's then that we're going to cheer each other on as we bear witness to justice rolling in like a river in different areas of life, in our life and in the nation and in the world. And it's then that we will see God's kingdom come to earth and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so my challenge for us today is to 
change our thinking, to change our minds about what it means to pursue justice, that it's not just justice in this area and not that area, but that we cheer all the areas of justice on, that we become united in the pursuit of continuing what Christ did for us and helping the world see glimpses that heaven has come to earth. Now, I know that this whole thing doesn't get wrapped up in a nice, neat bow. I totally get that. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to take a section of this and just do a Q&A to have you guys ask questions and for me to do the best that I can and in the humble way that I could possibly speak to it. Um, and I might not be able to answer all of them. I won't be able to answer all of them. But to give you an opportunity to ask some questions. And so what you can do now is you can send in a question that we can discuss. Um, you can do it by putting it in the comment section of Facebook, or you can text your question to 240-454-5353, and we'll be able to engage those questions and talk a little bit more about them. Um, now, our first question, I'm trying to pull up. Um, our first question, oh, wait, okay. Oh, this is a long one. Okay, let me read the whole thing. When I think about pursuing justice in the way you're talking about in all the areas of injustice, I get so overwhelmed, yes. But I'm a follower of Jesus. So how do I care about all the areas in need of justice without driving myself crazy or stretching myself too thin? I completely relate to this question. Uh, this is a great question because I think that that is what happens to a lot of us when we think about, wait, I'm supposed to care about all the things. I mean, one of the reasons that we pick and choose and pit injustices against is because of this feeling of feeling overwhelmed. I couldn't possibly care about all of them, so I'll just pick this one and, and, and put it up there as the best one, right, or the most important one. Um, but now that we've addressed that piece, what, what do we do? What, what's the other option? Um, so I think the reality is that every single one of us has been shaped uniquely by God, that we have been wired in particular ways, that we have experiences um, that are unique, that, that sort of God has enabled us to have, or we've been put in the places that we're put in for such a time and a place as this. And so the reality is, is there are going to be calls of injustice that speak to your wiring and your experiences louder than other calls of injustice. And, and that is okay. In fact, I would say that that is good. That's paying attention to the things that God the way that God has been um, acting and, and engaging in your life and you're sort of following that pursuit. So I would say that is a good thing. Um, I don't think that saying that we need to pursue justice in every area necessarily means that one person has to do all of the injustice things at the same time. I take care of the elderly, I take care of foster kids, I take care of the prisoners, I take care of the immigrants, all at the same levels. And if one starts to get up there, we say, no, 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 no. You have to stay right here, right? I don't think that that's what it means to pursue in every area. I think what it means is that as the body of Christ, 
We need to recognize that the pursuit of justice in one area is worth cheering for just as much as the pursuit of justice in another area. So instead of looking at someone who's pursuing it and saying, no, 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 you need to care about this more, we say, yes, yes, I see the will of God. I see the image of God being respected. I see the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and crashing in and, and, and that is great and you are making us all look real good. Right, so, so there's the difference between saying, no, 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 don't do that, do, do, do my thing, I want justice for us, I, I want justice for just us, and you say, no, 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 I want justice for all the things, even though your wiring might be leading you to a particular thing. And I think this is the beauty of one of our practices as a church being, being spirit-led, being people who are led by the Spirit and listening to the Spirit because it's only when the Spirit speaks to us that we know which direction we're supposed to pursue. We know when we're supposed to say, I'm going to walk in this way and I'm going to trust that God is bigger than me and he's going to rise up others to also pursue justice in this area. And I'm going to celebrate with them and I'm going to cheer them on and I'm going to encourage them because we're all doing this together. Um, so don't get overwhelmed. Okay, another question. Um, you talked about taking on the problems of others who are vulnerable. Where do you draw the line between helping and enabling? Great question. Um, I've been in situations where I've helped someone and then I start getting taken advantage of, so haven't I just become the vulnerable? Oh my gosh, this is a great question also. Really, really wonderful question. Um, uh, yes. So what I would say is that um, mishpat, the idea of Old Testament justice is way bigger than our understanding of charity, right? So in the Old Testament, there are all these rules and laws that are not just about, hey, uh, give somebody something when they need something. It's actually give them an opportunity to thrive. Give them an opportunity. So there were all these laws about like, hey, if you're a farmer and you have an olive grove, like you're going to go through the grove one time, but you can't go through a second. What you're going to do is you're going to let the widows and the orphans and the foreigners and, 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 and the poor go through the olive grove the second time and they get to harvest that. It was a principle called gleaning. And so it wasn't like, hey, pick all of it the second time, but you have to give that away. It was like, hey, give them opportunities. And so one of the ways this this could happen is like, if you're an employer, what type of opportunities are you creating and giving to those who don't have opportunities? It's not just like, hey, now I have to give away my business in order to help someone. No, 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 it's like, how are we being thoughtful about giving other people opportunities? It's way bigger than just charity, although that might be good. It's, it's more about how do I not just give somebody a fish? I mean, if they're starving on the side of the road, you give them a fish, right? Like you help them in that immediate need, but it's, but it's greater, more greatly bent towards how do I teach a man to fish? How do I teach people to fish so that they have the opportunity to do this? Now, the hard part about this is it's so much easier to just be like, here's a fish, I'll see you later, right? What's harder is to understand the injustice, the systemic injustice that is happening in a particular situation like foster care or prison reform or, or elder care or whatever the thing is, um, uh, to, to understand the systemic things 
And to enter into that and really like know where the levers are and what needs to happen in order to give people the opportunity to empower them to get out of this so you're not enabling them but you really are helping. That takes relationship and longevity and expertise in a particular area, which is also why I don't think it means that we have to be equal in all the things. Like, we need this expertise in order to really understand what's going on. The problem is, is that a lot of times, like, we just want to hand somebody a fish and get over with it. <laughs> like, we don't want to enter into the relationship. We, we, just, we just want that to be the end. And so I think what we're being called to do is to figure out how do we help in a way that empowers people rather than enabling them. And actually, I'm gonna talk a little bit, we're gonna be doing a Just Act, Act Justly workshop starting July 29th. I, it's on a slide in just a second. And, and, um, and uh, I'll tell you about it now. And then we'll go to our last question that I have here. Um, but we're gonna be doing an Act Justly workshop at the end of the month, which is actually, uh, uh, it's a six week conversation and workshop based on the book uh, Helping Without Hurting or, or uh, Helping Without Hurting that really is looking at how do we become people, both leaders of organizations or ministries, but also individuals who can enter into a situation and empower people rather than enabling them. How do we become people who are um, who are not hurting ourselves and making ourselves vulnerable, but also not uh, actually taking away opportunity from people, but, but giving them opportunity. And so we're gonna be doing that via Zoom on Wednesday nights from seven to 8.30 starting July 29th. And you can sign up for that. There's a link in the comments. It'll also be in our weekly email. Um, and so if it's really, it's really, if you are excited about this topic and you wanna learn more about how it is we engage with this, this is for you. If you are a ministry leader or you have have a passionate pursuit of justice or you work in an organization where it's really easy for you to uh, want to help people but sometimes it might lean towards enabling them or it may be taking advantage of you this is a great workshop to be a part of it it really is bent on how to create systems of empowerment so that vulnerable communities might learn to thrive um, so there's another one I have one more question um, what I'm really struggling with is having grace and compassion for people who refuse to see injustices. If folks refuse to see injustice, how do we really continue to have a relationship with them? It feels like a betrayal of ourselves. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, this is part of the division that one person acknowledges that this is an injustice and the other person's like, no, 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 that's not an injustice. There's no injustice that has happened. And so how do we continue to walk in relationship with each other? I, I'm gonna lean into what Christ does for us, right? Christ dies on the cross for us because there is an injustice and an oppression that we need to be set free from. But the reality is, is not every person that Christ died for chooses to acknowledge that they need a savior, chooses to acknowledge that there's an injustice and an oppression that they need to be rescued from. But Christ dies for us anyways. And then what he sort of does is he sort of leaves the ball in the court, right? The relationship happens when that person turns to Christ and says like, hey, I recognize what you have done 
I recognize that I need you. And, and I'm not so much saying that we need to be like Christ and, and uh, that, that we're holier than I or, or we're some sort of mess, messianic complex or something like that. But more so, I think we've got to keep a seat at the table for people. I don't know that we can demand that everybody view injustice the same way, that everybody come to see and have their eyes open at the same time because the reality is, is I didn't. I didn't see it until later in my life. And had there been people, if there hadn't been people who continued to walk with me, even though I refused to see it, I never would have seen it. If God doesn't stay present in the lives of the people and continue to give them opportunity to see what Christ has done for them, then they might never see it. And so I think that as painful as it is, and as many boundaries as you may need to put in place, we have to keep a seat at the table. We have to keep the conversation rolling. And I think that for me, I found that some of these conversations for me have been, um, I can have them in short stints, and as I enter them, something that changes in me is that I am not trying to convince people that they need to see injustices the way I see it. But I use vocabulary and language that is like, I'm curious about, I listen, and then I respond with, yes, I hear that, I've thought the same way. I'm curious about and then pose my question. And for me, what is helpful is to no longer dialogue about it as an attack on the person who doesn't get it and doesn't see it, because that's really easy to do. But instead, to take that um, perspective or being ability to see injustice and sort of hold it out between us, outside of that person and outside of me, and talk about that thing, rather than talking about how you got it wrong. But talking about, yeah, how do we explore this together? Now that doesn't mean that I engage in these conversations on the daily, on the hourly, uh, all the time, because that is maddening. But I think that there is a way where we've got to figure out how to continue to walk with people, and I think it's recognizing that this is what Jesus did for us, other people did for us, and also removing that conversation from from the, the identity of that person and having it be a concept that we are engaging in together and continuing to learn about.